Hello, everyone. The show is back. I could not stay away from the podcast too long, could I? Happy to report the show is back. It's interview format once again. If you want to know why I decided to bring back the show, um, you can hear that after the interview. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it up top, but also what we can expect going forward and ultimately why I still needed to scratch that podcast itch. My guest for this return show is Tyson Chartier, who is an MMA manager. He represents a lot of the top names in New England, but he's also the head coach of Calvin Cater and Rob Font. Awesome guy and starting to get the credit he finally deserves after Calvin Cater has climbed the ranks and had a couple of huge wins, including in his main event on Fight Island back in July. We talk about what it's like to coach on Fight Island as he did in July with the weird times of the fights. The main event was at like 8.30 or 9 in the morning. How a chance meeting also with Dana White on an airplane years ago ultimately led to Tyson getting into mixed martial arts. So here is the head coach of the New England cartel, Tyson Charlie. What's happening, man? Not much, man. Just uh, starting the week off. It's good to see you from across the world. <laughs> yeah, what is it, like 2 a.m. for you? Or? No, 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 no. It's like, uh, it's almost 6 o'clock at night. So oh, yes, yeah. That's here, I got, a, uh, I got a present for you to bring you back. We'll do that. <laughs> How's that there look? There you go. Oh, I'm already starting to sweat. <laughs> from over on fight. I, I know it is. It's humid, man. Uh, thanks for doing this, Tyson, because um, I know we talked about getting you on the show back when I was doing it in person. And then I stopped doing the interviews in person because I was stupidly stubborn that I needed to sit down in the same room with people. I was way underestimating how tough that would be. But uh, one of the reasons why I'm firing it back up now is because I knew that I had you as, uh, as somebody that was, wanted to come on and uh, come on and chat with me and stuff like that. So thanks, man. You're giving, you're giving this show the push. I like it. Yeah. It's back I mean, underway. It's, uh, always good to sit down in person, but, you know, that's what technology's for. You guys yeah. get the... Uh, or option. Exactly, man. So, um, so Fight Island, man, what did you think of Fight Island? Because now I've been here for uh, about a week, and uh, you obviously got to experience it as, as like the main event coach. So let's chat. Yeah, about it. it was, I mean, you feel blessed that it's there because it gave, it gives all these guys the opportunity to make a paycheck, feed their family. So you're happy that, you know, the UFC and Dana and the UAE government figured it out. Um, but I mean, it's, it's kind of a beast, you know, like yeah. the, the travel, I mean, the, the travel's comfortable, like, you know, you have your own seats and everything, but when you look at a normal fight week and, you know, how hard that is on like, you know, a team and you got to think it's never just a fighter. It's a fighter plus three or four coaches. And so that's three, three or four families that are kind of like on hold, on pause, you know, like a lot of us got kids. And so instead of, you know, five nights away, you know, you're looking at 12 nights. Right. And just um, for one, just for one fight. Just, just for one fight, and you know yeah. some some of these coaches you see they're staying for you know some of these. Right. I think it was last time we were there. The Brazilians like they fought the Saturday before us, and they weren't flying home till a week after us just because the way the charters worked out. And, yeah, you know, when you think about that, it's um, it's definitely you know obviously everybody's making sacrifices in this time, but it's uh, it's definitely a beast. It's like more of a sacrifice than a traditional fight week. So you, you factor that in, it's tough. Do you look back on it with like? Uh fond memories or it sounds almost just like you're like oh geez that was that was something no so we always have this joke that it's like the city's only as good as the fight went 
Yeah, you know, we went okay. to uh, we went to Brooklyn and we went to Brooklyn and Rob, Joe, I'm sorry, Calvin, Joe, uh, Kyle, and Mike Rodriguez all lost in Brooklyn. We're like, eh, f Brooklyn, we hate New York, right, you know. Right. But then we, we went to Milwaukee and and Rob and uh, Mike. In December. Went, we're like, Milwaukee's a Milwaukee's a great city in December. Right, right, you know? right. <laughs> so we look at Fight Island as awesome because we won. But um, yeah, you know, like I was gonna, there was a chance I was gonna go back with William, and then his uh, his grappling coach was able to go. So I would have been there right there with you now, finally right. today. And um, I wasn't like mad about going. I, I was excited to go back, you yeah. know, and, um, you know, and then w- watching him all week be out there with you guys and, and, and go to the fight, you know, you, feel, you kind of feel left out a little bit. Right. And, uh, right. Yeah. So it wasn't like bad to the point where like, oh man, screw that. I never want to go back, but. Yeah. It comes with its own circumstances. And it's, uh, we were chatting before I even came over and, uh, I was excited to go because I didn't go in July and you went in July. So you're like, cool. I mean, I would have gone, but I'm glad that I took part in it. But um, I know what it is now. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, man, it it is like, correct me if I'm wrong. This is the closest to college we will ever get again in our whole entire lives. Yeah. If there was like none sitting in the hallway telling you you can't mix or fraternize, it's like the first, cause the first two days you're like locked in. That's room true. Yeah. I mean, right. Yeah. But then once that happens, I mean, I guess, I, and I'm coming at it from a completely different angle. You're coaching, getting ready for the fight. Calvin's, you know, highest profile fight of his career in terms of being a main event and all that stuff. And me, it's like, you know, we got our TV crew and you know, we're just hoping for some fun fights to call and that sort of thing. So we're coming at it from uh quite opposite yeah, no, it's, it's definitely you know it's cool because you you know all the real life distractions kind of go away you're in this little bubble and you kind of do whatever you know you can go to the beach you can go to uh you know ride the f1 cars you can take you know bikes around the f1 track yeah the, the safety zone though the, the bubble is smaller now so the track is closed the the cars because yeah. they're open to the public and then the golf course is closed so there's okay. some uh, yeah, some well, unhappy people but uh we're riding the bikes me and felder riding the bikes around the loop around like the 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 main like road or whatever yeah like three in the morning yeah i mean get on those hours how did you guys manage those hours to fight at like nine so i got i got on the horn with the ufc right away because there was like they they showed the broadcast on the tv of like what the time the card started but then the ufc website said nothing and topology said nothing so i got on the phone right away with the higher ups and i was just like listen like we need to know exactly what time the main card starts and then we estimated what time we'd start. I got on the phone with the PI and I, you know, we started talking about best practices for sleeping. And, and we came up with the plan that, um, you know, I told them, listen, I really think if we're fighting at 9 a.m., it doesn't make sense for us to try to stay up all night and be nocturnal. Yeah. Um, so we came up with the plan. We're going to try to go to bed at like six or seven every night and then get up at 3 a.m. Right. And then have a few hours to kind of wind out. And then every day at 7.30 a.m., we did a training session. And then everything was built around the session. And then as best we could, we were like, Calvin, you can't nap. And he did really good. He was really disciplined about it. Like we were all tired as coaches. We're kind of like falling asleep. Calvin did really well staying up every afternoon, resisting that urge to nap and um, then went to bed early. So that's what we did. We got on that schedule right away. And, you know, one of the benefits of being there early is that you do have like that the extra few nights to try to right. get on that sleep schedule. But man, it was weird coming back to the hotel at 10 30 in the morning after right, breakfast. Taking, I know. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then like three hours later, your flight's taken off. So. Yeah, that's right, because you guys kind of had to get out right away and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, I think we got back to the fighter hotel where they do the winning pictures at 10.30 a.m., and then our shuttle to the airport was at 2. So we went up to the pool for like an hour right. and grabbed our bags and got You don't the get that so. traditional kind of hang out and enjoy the wind, whatever. You had to do that on the plane, I guess. 
yeah and then even on the plane you're social distance you're just kind of sleeping so it's uh um, yeah i mean all good problems right yeah yeah exactly so um what was your reaction to um him winning the main event obviously like like it went well for you and stuff what have you noticed from that push uh of calvin getting in that sort of position and kind of delivering i mean i think everybody because of the way the fight went and how he looked so good in the fourth and fifth round and then right after that there's a b option opening up with yeah you're pulling out i think um everybody it just fueled the fire of like oh calvin definitely would have won back in november if it was five rounds so you hear a lot of that talk i think the ufc now looks at him as like okay he's a legitimate headliner you know he took a, a full you know a five round fight won the fourth and the fifth looks like championship material against you know one of the you know you said the, the, the hottest prospects at you know dan Ige six in a row yeah um so you've noticed like a little bit of a different vibe like okay like now we recognize him as a contender and then you know that seems like that internally and then externally you're seeing the media now looking at him as like okay calvin's one of the guys now you know right. maybe you should fight max maybe you should fight ortega you know people are looking at him as a definitely someone who could win a title and then you know from a social standpoint as like i'm getting messages on instagram that i wrote three years ago about calvin that now these companies are replying to and be like, hey, we'd love to talk about Calvin. So I'm like, hey, listen, you don't want to date me when I was in high school. Now that I'm, uh, now that I'm in college, I'm cool enough. Or something. <laughs> but it's, wow. It's, it's, they kept those messages for now. three years? Or well, like no. Just... I'm, it's like I wrote them three right. years ago, and they didn't see it because they don't follow me. And now all of yeah. a sudden, they're writing me. Right, and, right, right. Uh, I see the old message there, and I'm like, this one's sick. <laughs> Where were you three <laughs> years ago? But um, So, it's, but, you know, you can yeah. definitely feel the difference. Like, right. Um, you know, and then even when other coaches talk to me, now it's like, I don't know. It's almost like we all graduated to like, okay, you're in the, you're in the club one now. Of us now. Yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're yeah. in the club. Okay. You got a contender. They look at me, maybe, okay. Maybe this guy isn't just like a, a guy that carries the bucket. Maybe Calvin isn't just a good looking guy who has a good jab. Right. Um, you know, and then we start looking at our team as a legitimate team now, just cause we do things a little bit different at the cartel. Like we're kind of like, all right, what are these guys doing? And now they're starting to ask what we're doing. So um, it's been what? cool. It's been, it's been all ups. What do you do differently? We, we take more of like a boxing approach. Um, I think it was a few months ago, Dean Thomas actually did an interview where he was explaining like kind of the way the camps are changing now. It used to be the bet mega camps. And now, you know, you're starting to see some guys go to that more of that boxing style where, you know, you go to a mega camp at like APT and obviously they're very successful, but it's more like the, the camps are built around the schedule of the gym. You know, it's the, you know, all right, pro practice at three o'clock. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which is nothing wrong with that. But I feel like, all right, we need to give these guys the individual attention that they need. So we build camps around Calvin and Rob, you know, so when, when Rob and Calvin don't have fights, they have a meat and potato schedule. We mix in where we can and we're making sure that, you know, they're doing certain things with the certain coaches just to fill different holes and, and keep improving. But then once we get a fight that, you know, that schedule's dialed in based on who we're fighting and you know, what, uh, I think we might need for that camp and who our training partners are going to be. And then we, we build that camp and then everything's built around the fighter, you know? So, um, you know, Calvin's not like a crazy morning person. Like he's more of a, I'm going to be up, at, I'm going to be up late, maybe sleep in a little bit. So we're, we're building the camps around that, you know, like we're not having, you know, 9am practices knowing that, all right, that means Calvin's probably going to have to wake up early than the body really needs to. And, um, you know, so everything's shifted a little bit later where Rob's more of a morning person. So, you know, we can get away with getting some uh, earlier stuff in. And um, yeah, and it's really just bringing all the coaches and, and basing it around their schedule and keeping the circle really small and then a lot more individual attention. 
So they keep you busy because you got to be at an early practice and then a late practice for Calvin. Unless if they're in camp together, but then when they're right. in camp together, that we doesn't kind of happen often, so right? Yeah. yeah, it's only happened one time, and uh, hopefully, you know, right now we're looking at them both fighting in December. Hopefully, I mean that's what the UFC is targeting. So ideally, in a perfect world, they're on the same card again, which is it's great in some aspects. It's more stressful in other aspects because right. I'm thinking like you know, watch twice the video, stay on top of everything, but. It's um, it's definitely better for them, the synergy in the camp and them two going in, focusing on their fight. Um, you know, because what tends to happen is if, if Rob's in camp, Calvin's like all, all in on Rob, you know? Right, and, right. Um, but it, and, and vice versa with Rob on Calvin. But then if they're both in camp, they're both kind of focused on just their fight and all the coaches kind of play their roles and, you know, we make sure that they're both ready and, you know, they just kind of keep lifting each other up and pushing each other. It's great. Yeah. Uh, one more thing, because I want to talk about you and kind of, the, the interview style of how you got to where you are and all that sort of stuff. But Mike Rodriguez, Ed Herman, the, uh, the phantom nut shot, what's the status on that? Cause you've been kind of outspoken on Twitter, like, all right, we're going to appeal it. And this looks good. Cause yeah. kind of Tyone's had a yeah, bad so we stretch. Put, yeah. We put an appeal. I mean, no shame on Tyone. Like that's impossible. I like job. him a lot. I mean, he's, yeah, no, he's no, from no, Wyoming, which is where Tyone. I started my career. Yeah. We talk about Wyoming high school football when I said, you know what I mean? I really like the guy, but obviously mistakes happen, yeah. you know? No, I think one thing that's getting misconstrued is like people think we're mad at the ref or we're mad at uh, um, Ed Herman. Like Ed Herman did what he's supposed to do. If I had a guy in Ed Herman's position, I would take advantage of that. The ref gives you some time, take advantage. You know, he didn't do anything wrong. He pulled a veteran move and that's what he's supposed to do. And, um, you know, Tyone, he just, I think he just made a mistake and he, he's owned up to it already. He's come out and said he knows he made a mistake. And then, you know, and then the following week, you know, I think he's getting a lot of hatred for what happened the following week in the, you know, the Jesse Jesse fight um, where he, you know, right, the doctors right, came right, in yeah. the cage and then he's like, oh. but according, if I'm looking at the rules, that should be what he did. You know, he did follow the rules in that fight where he saw a shot. He thought it was a foul. It, he wasn't hundred percent sure. He stopped it. He pulled, he went to the sidelines, asked the, uh, the officials what was going on. They're like, no, that wasn't an illegal shot. And then he, and then all the doctors and he's like, no, 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 the fight's not over. Get out of here. And then he, he checked for safety. He's like, Hey, are you okay? Are you, are you okay to continue? She said, yes. So then he restarts the fight. Um, that's the process. Like that's what right. he should have done in the mic fight. So right now the process is uh, we got the appeal in. I've confirmed with the, the commission that they have received it. It's in process. And uh, I'm hoping to hear something back this week. So, so we get it here. What are you trying to, to do in this position are you trying to get it so it's like a win for mike and a loss for ed no i don't even think in a perfect world that would have been great but yeah. like you know through my talks with you know um people you know like ratner and stuff they're like listen that's never gonna happen like they're like they're never gonna change it to a win change a result right yeah so ideally it changes the little contest but even you know just as important as that is i think we're shedding light on the process to try to make the sport better right if you look at just the fact that like that happened in Mike's fight and then we put up a stink about it, telling the world we're going to appeal. They knew the appeal was in. And then the day after we set the appeal, you know, the rest are doing the rules meetings and they're saying, Hey, last week we couldn't use review for replay, but this week we can, they're doing that in the rules meetings. And then you guys are doing the broadcast saying, Hey, replay is only for fight ending sequence. So you can see things are already starting to, they're, they're reacting. Yeah. I was hazy on that. Cause I feel like I've read, that uh, replay can be used at any time throughout the fight, even in Nevada. And then Mark Ratner came over to me in the commercial break after the second round and was just like, he did the right thing. He couldn't have gone to replay there. And I'm like, well, we got to figure this out. 
you know? <laughs> so yeah, so like I think that's Ratner's interpretation. So from my understanding, after talking to Ratner a few times, and he was great in, uh, you know, being an open book with me, um, was that the interpretation that the Nevada Athletic Commission has had in the past is, oh, replay is only for boxing. But it's, it doesn't say that in your bylaws. It just says replay can be used at any time. Right. So he's, he was saying that's why he's saying that to you guys, I think. And then – Yeah, he said the it was a boxing thing. It. Yeah. Exactly. So that's why – but then you see the next week and they're already saying that they can use replay for a fight and for not for a sequence that's not fight ending shows that, like, they're even wishy-washy. So – at the end of the day, what's you know bigger than Mike and his team is the sport. And if we can shed some light on a very confusing rule and and try to push the for push you know the sport forward, and you know the other major sports have replay and they're leveraging it and they're they're constantly trying to tweak it and make it better. I don't see why you know combat sports should be any different. If we have cameras there that can show if it was an illegal shot or not, then um, you know why are we not leveraging that? Especially right. you know, for one, number one for the safety of the fighters, number two let's get this right so we don't have to do appeals so like in a perfect world tyone does the same thing looks at the replay quick sees it's a legal shot and then asset right away if he can continue yeah like thinking? within 30 seconds yeah right. so yeah and i think had uh three minutes and one second to recover i had yeah no, yeah could have taken two more so i think in the perfect world he calls the shot goes over to the sidelines like hey illegal shot can you double check they're like no that was not that was the rib and he says all right can you continue and then if he's like, oh, I don't know, then he threatens him with timidity, takes a point, and right. he's like, all right, you got to go. And he's like, if I can't go, then it's a DKO. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, well, we'll see uh, what happens on that. All right, so now let's talk about you, man, because you got your own story. You're not just uh, the support system for other guys. Uh, born in New Hampshire, New Hampshire guy? I was born in uh, Ravenna, Ohio, which is right by Kent State. Where oh, Edelman my went goodness. To college. Yeah. I only lived there for a yeah, my whole yeah. life I thought I lived there for three months, but I lived there for a year, I guess. Yeah, but you're New Hampshire. Then, then to New England. Then New Hampshire. Then, yeah, then right to New Hampshire. What's it like? I'm a Massachusetts guy. What's it like to to be like the – because everyone's still a Red Sox fan and a Patriots fan up there and all that. It still has like – it. plenty of places in New Hampshire are closer to Boston than I am. Is it still but, – but do you identify as like Massachusetts or Boston? It's like I, I never quite had a grip on – being from New Hampshire, especially kind of like that southern half of New Hampshire? I think we identify more than people from Mass as being part of New England. Because we're right in the middle of it. We're sandwiched between Maine and Vermont and Mass. You know, we have like a few miles of coastline. But our sports teams are all the, the, the Massachusetts sports teams. Right. And, um, same thing with Maine and Vermont. You know, we all cheer for the Boston teams. And so I think, you know, when you get into, you know. But like, but like Vermont is like granola, Right. And uh, and then Maine is just weird. So what's yeah. New Hampshire? <laughs> so I always say like, so Southern New Hampshire, there's a toll booth in Concord, which is the capital. So from Concord to Boston, it's probably like an hour and 10 minutes. Right, on, right. right so that's just suburban Massachusetts. <clears throat> right, so right. right south of Concord, which is like 15 minutes north of me, is the toll booth on 93. And I would say anything south of the toll booth is like Massachusetts north. Right. Anything north of the toll booth is like, Maine and Vermont blended to Canada. <laughs> okay, like, yeah, right, right. Yeah, we're, we're kind of like Southern New Hampshire is kind of like and some ski resorts and and whatever you know. Yeah, you know, we can go up there, there. And, you know, get some, right. have some fun stuff. But we're kind of like a lot of people that live here where I live work in Mass. You know, I used right. to work down in Burlington, so it's kind of like it's a, it's a blend of like you know Southern New Hampshire is, is very Massachusetts like right, integrated. Yeah. You don't have the accent though. 
No, we don't have an accent. We talk like pretty normal. Like normal people, think, just uh, like me. Right. I was yeah. far enough out of the city too. Calvin's got a nice That's right. one. Rob's got a nice one. Calvin's um, isn't that thick. It's but... not that thick. It's just enough to know that it's there. If you, you know. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so like, how do you get into, cause I knew you're a high school wrestler, right? Uh, what was, did you play all sports or? Yeah. So I grew up playing like football, basketball, baseball, right. and then, uh, always wanted to play hockey, but we couldn't afford it. Yeah. And then went to high school and then did uh, football and wrestling. My older brother wrestled the first year we had a program was my freshman year. So I joined the team cause he did, he was a junior. And then I wrestled and played football all through high school. And then in college, I wanted to stay local because I was a pussy and I uh, had a girlfriend that was local. So I was like, oh, I don't want to go away, you know? So I stayed local for a girl. And um, so I didn't wrestle in college. And then I ended up walking onto the uh, lacrosse team at Southern Hampshire University and then played four years there and then coached while I was in grad school. And then after I got out, I was just like itching to do something. I moved down to Mass for my first job. I was in uh, the North Shore. I was yeah. in uh, Danvers. And I was just like itching to do something and tried to just do. Right. I, I, before we get into the jujitsu and the martial arts, you got to <clears throat> tell the story about how you uh, went Mike Tyson and bit somebody's ear in high school wrestling. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't bite the ear. That was really cool. But no, I was, you uh, didn't bite it. No. So he cross faced me like real hard, like in the face. I think I was losing by a point. It was wrestling for third in the state. And he cross faced me hard and like hit my teeth. I hurt my teeth. And I pulled away and then he pulled his arm out and there was a tooth mark on it. And the, the, the referee just flipped out. He threw me out of the tournament. Oh, oh, okay. Walk a shit. Yeah. <laughs> so I got thrown out of the whole state tournament, suspended from all states. And then the cover of like the union leader, which is the big sports, you know, the uh, newspaper in Southern Hampshire was Tyson bites again. Cause it was like a week after my Tyson. <laughs> That's what it here. was. That's what it was. I knew there was <laughs> yeah. like a biting, biting involved yeah, in Tyson, so but it wasn't the ear. Okay. Oh, Tyson bites year, again. <laughs> My whole senior year, every time I wrestled, the, the coaches kept in mind and the rest, like, this is the kid that bit that, that guy. And it was, yeah. Oh, man. So, like, you really had to deal with it. Yeah, it was a lot of, there was no social media, so I couldn't get my, my story out. You know, I just had to right. roll with the pack that, you know, I'm going to do the bites, guys, I guess. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was, even some teachers, when I went back to school that Monday, they're like, what are you doing? Like, I'm like, I didn't really bite them. So, that's, like, not that's not a funny story. That's like, what the, that's like, that was like a real issue. Oh, it was, it was awful. But I mean, now it's part of my story. So I'm not right. like, mad about it or anything. Like, um, you know, I hope the kid, I think kid's name was Chris Strand. I hope he knows that I didn't intentionally bite him. But he probably just walk around and be like, yeah, this freaking dickhead Tyson in high school bit my arm. And, you know, right. but I don't know, man. It's just, it is what it is. To turn it into a headline is uh, that, that uh, pushes it the Hey, I made the cover of the sports section, right? <laughs> no, geez. <laughs> However you can. So, right. so you just needed to do something. Uh, and you tried jujitsu just as like, I just want to work out. I just want to get back into grappling yeah, I somehow. I, I'd seen a couple like commercials for UFC and like, I was like, oh, I would love, like, I would never fight, but I would love to like try grappling. Were you a and UFC then, fan? Not really. I, right. I would just see it like, you know, advertised for pay-per-view and stuff like that. Maybe I watched a couple fights with friends or whatever, but I wasn't like an MMA fan. And then uh, I was like, well, I would do jujitsu. Maybe that would be fun. And then my, a friend of mine's mom, said that they were doing it down in the uh, basement of the art gallery said like a new little school or club opened up so that's where I went the the first class and yeah I was I was hooked right away on jiu-jitsu yeah I I like it so much more than I thought I would I mean and I didn't even I had no combat sports experience you know like yeah. I didn't our high school didn't even have a wrestling team and stuff like that but um 
I just, I was just like, yeah, I don't know. That's why I started with Muay Thai. Like for a few classes, I got like popped in the mouth. I was like, I gotta be on TV. I can't get popped in the mouth like yeah. that. So I did jujitsu and I like really enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Um, I mean, like, like when you get hooked on it though, like, do you, do you want to compete in it right away or like what, you know? I think I did. I started like late June was my first class that I took and I did my first tournament in June or November. Sorry, November. Right. So and then, uh, that was pretty active competing. And then that was 2006. What are you yeah, doing for work? Active. What are you doing for work back then? I was in Texas. So I was like my first job out of grad school. I was sitting at a desk eight to eight. And this is kind of interesting story. It was like, working the eight to six, you know, eight to five or eight to six, yeah. kind of on lunch break. And the kid who sat diagonal from me is this kid, F1 Friaz. And um, he did jujitsu and he's like, oh, you should try it. You know, that's really what kind of got me into it. It was like him saying it, but his school is a little further away than I would want to go. So we talked about it for like months. He's like, cause I started in May and yeah. then I didn't start until the following June. So a little over a year. And then him talking about like, yeah, you know, I got to strike with my white belt and you know, and he's pretty good. Well, fast forward, he's the guy that kind of like nudged me into it. Uh-huh. fast forward now that's you know rob font obviously his right. girlfriend Catherine. you've met her yeah edwin is Catherine's brother wow so before i ever knew who rob was or Catherine, he's he's like nudging me into doing jujitsu and right. then fast forward you know obviously what 14 years yeah now, one of my best friends rob font and it was his girlfriend of like 15 16 17 years or how long they've been together is her brother so you just like run into him again and just like holy smokes now i'm a coach in the ufc <laughs> well it was like a few years later he was right. like oh you're training at you know see Tong now like my boy trains there i'm like oh who because yeah, everybody says they train there yeah. i was like oh, i don't know him and then i finally met him and i was like oh i know edwin and then that kind of right. like there was a connection but so you're competing in jujitsu but then you started taking fights like you you got into mma yeah so i i, I think i put this on my instagram the other day it was Cause I drove by that art gallery and I yeah. was pretty nostalgic. And um, so I took one class and then the next week was 4th of July. So I, I had the week off of work. So me and my girlfriend at the time, we went out to Vegas for a week and on the flight home, I'm sitting and I saw the guy in front of me in the, the jetway to go down the plane. And he was holding a ultimate fighter bag. And I'm like, I was like, Oh, and I just tapped him. I didn't even know who it was. I was like, Oh, were you on the show? And then it turned out it was Dana White. And um, wow. Um, and I didn't even know Dana White's name because I wasn't like a, a fan enough. Yeah, to know. Yeah. I just knew he was in charge of the UFC. I was like, oh, you run the UFC? He's like, yeah. And I just said hi or whatever. And then we go down the plane and uh, we get in and then he comes and sits right next to us. So I was in the window, my girlfriend in the middle, and then he was in the aisle. And um, I think he had had a death in the family. So he was flying home to Boston to drive up to Maine for funeral. Yeah. And uh, so for five hours, I talked to him about how like I'm obviously an advanced jiu-jitsu practitioner because i've taken one class right and I, I must have been that newbie that just talked his ear off but by the end he's like hey listen here's donna you know donna marcoloni he's like here's donna's number give her a call you got to come out to a live show like if you see mma live you'll be hooked so the next weekend i flew back out to the to vegas with one of my friends and watched the tito ortiz versus shamrock fight uh-huh. and, um he was like, yeah, I'll give you tickets to the fight. You come to the after party. You'll meet all the fighters. I'm like, this is going to be so cool. I'm going to meet fighters, you know? And um, I got tickets to the fight, but there was no tickets to the after party. But I was like, oh, it's all right. And um, went, watched the fight. And I was like, hooked. I came back. I'm telling all my jiu-jitsu people, like, yeah, I know Dana White. Like, I went to the fight. <laughs> I sat close to the game, you know? And then. Uh, That's wild. Yeah, then, Hold on. So, like, you just yeah, randomly are sitting in the same aisle as Dana White to, like, get yeah. you into MMA. 
you got to see a show. And then I went and saw a show and I, I remember like Tito doing his walkout. Cause Tito was like, I didn't really follow MMA, but I liked Tito cause I knew he was a wrestler. Yeah. And then he did his walkout that they, they did the life, all that stuff. And I was hooked. I was like, dude, that would be freaking awesome. I was like, that's a rush. And, um, I came back and then, and, um, I was like, I, I would love to do a fight someday, you know? And we were at a jiu-jitsu school. We didn't realize that he was fighting. Yeah. And a few months later, one of my buddies, he was going to take a fight. And so I actually cornered him for that fight because he was wrestling, uh, fighting a, a grappler. And um, so he was like, hey, will you corner me? So I cornered him with the other coach. And uh, I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to fight someday. And then I was just like, I'll do one fight. And right, then, right. Obviously. Yeah, Felder said the same thing. There's a lot of people that are like, I'll just take one fight just to be fun. Spicely did that yeah. too, didn't he? Eric Spicely was like a one fight guy. Like, I'll take one fight. I remember I was at his, yeah, I think he just did it like, but he did like sign up the day of or something, right? Did right, he fight right, like right. heavyweight his first one amateur I'm not sure. I just know that he was like one of those yeah. guys like, oh, I'll be a pro skateboarder, but I'll take one fight. Have you ever reminisced yeah. with Dana about that? No. So a few years later, I was at um, the Red Rock um, visiting a friend and we saw Dana White like in the lobby. Yeah. And my buddy has no shame. So he went right up to me, like, I get a picture. And then, so I took the picture and then he, he took one with me. I was like, Hey, I actually met you a couple of years ago on a plane. And then I was telling him like, when I went, I was like, yeah, it was like 2006. It was like, and he's like, no, that was, that wasn't 2006. So we argued about the date, not like right. argue, but right. we disagreed on the time frame. And I was like, no, I know for a fact, this is the only UFC fight I've ever been to. It was like this day. And he's like, no, 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 no. I was like, all right. He clearly did not remember me right. or does not understand the impact that he had in that one day. But um yeah it was yeah, i mean he meets so many people i don't yeah no i know him. especially for in his, i mean especially now but even back then it's like if you're yeah. running the thing and stuff there's there's like countless stories of these contender series guys that are like they once met dana or they they took a picture with dana when they're 12 at an event and then they're like i'm gonna fight in the ufc and then like you know sure enough they come yeah. through and then they fight on the contender series and stuff it's crazy you know that's yeah, wild so so then you are like i'm taking a fight no fear of like the, the punches and the four ounce gloves and the head kicks and the knockouts and all that. Cause that's like no, obviously a big thing. If you're in jujitsu, there's, there's, you know, I guess you could blow out a knee and that sort of stuff, but you know, you don't really get put to, put yeah. to sleep in a knockout fashion. No, I was, I didn't, there's no fears of like the injury or anything like that. Like, you know, the questions that, um, your parents that hurt to get hit. And they went to my first fight, you know, and then we yeah, all went right. out to dinner after. And yeah. you know, they, didn't, they didn't really know what it was at the time. And, um, yeah. yeah, so there was, like, no fear. It was more about, like, the, the fear of competing, you know, like that. I remember I couldn't warm up for my first fight. And I had three coaches corner me that had never fought before. Um, no one knew what to say to me. And I'm, like, freaking out in the back. I'm like, my legs aren't working. I can't, I can't work. I can't warm up. And this is back in the days, like, all you know, most of these kids these days are too soft to do this. But it's back in the days where you showed up. Same day, same day weigh in. Same day weigh in, right? Yeah, yeah. Same day weigh in. A group of people just step on the scale, and then they call it on a clipboard, like, "All right, Tyson, locker room A, Eric, locker room B," and then like, "Oh, I guess I'm fighting Eric," you know? And then you're like, "Who's Eric?" Like, there's no social media. You don't have any video on the guy. You're right. just literally gonna go into a boxing ring and fight some kid you know nothing about. And, you know, that's how it was back then. Yeah. And um, so my first two fights were like that, and uh. Nowadays, I can't even get an amateur to take a fight unless he's got like enough video. He knows everything about the guy. He knows yeah, right, right. Name like, so it's uh, you know, it was, it was a little bit like wild in that aspect where you, you know, the, well, the really whole sport was, like, was the wild west until like, I mean, probably well into the Fox deal, right? At least you know. A few yeah, years it wasn't even sanctioned until. Yeah, it wasn't sanctioned in mass for a while. Um, I remember the first fight. It might have been two thousand. 
Did you well, ever have? Did you ever have like uh, I got to make it to the UFC type of thoughts? No, no, I was. I never had any delusions because I didn't do my first fight till I was twenty eight, and right. um, my first three fights I was the only kid in my gym fighting, and and then after that, I that's when I went over to Seattle and started training with other fighters, and um, it was never the goal. I was like, I was twenty eight. I had a master's degree. I had like a a nice job where I was making good money. So it was never like that. It was it was more about the personal challenge, right? And then um. Just, you know, just kind of like challenging myself because it was scary. You know, it was, it, it kept you in shape. It, you know, it was like, it was just about a disciplined lifestyle and, and being on a team again. Because, you know, I miss high school, you know, playing football and you're wrestling and, and those are your brothers. And then you get out and then all of a sudden you're like, what do you do? Right. And um, so I felt like I was on a team again. And then I started, and that's when, as an amateur after three or four fights is when I started meeting guys like Rob Font and Rico DeShulo, those crop, the first crop of guys that I started like, um, cornering for their fights and then also getting in their fights as a manager. So that's how it kind of all happened. I was a little older than they were and, um, you know, just little by little started treating them how I wanted to, you know, treat myself. Yeah. And- yeah. yeah. That, that camaraderie thing can't be, uh, that, that's so underrated. I feel like just no matter what, <laughs> like I'd go to jujitsu class at extreme out here and, uh, like once a week, you know, but it's just like, you're around other people that are kind of like doing the same thing and just like want a good role and work out and feel like exhausted at the end. And I'm just like, I don't even know these people. I'm not even friends with them, but yet there's camaraderie there, you know, but it's like, then you see it in the gym with, with teams, you know, and it's like, it brings a whole, it brings like a whole different thing to your life. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. family's great, right? You have three kids and, and you know, your wife and a family and whatever you're, you're at home. But like, the, the camaraderie thing with people outside in a different avenue is just, uh, man, it's like so valuable. Yeah, you feel like, you know, you grow up playing sports your whole life. You're always on a team and, you know, you got these your brothers and, you know, you have this, uh, these goals and you're kind of going through them. And there's a adrenaline rush that comes along with that. And then all of a sudden you leave college and it's supposed to just be done. You know, there's no, right. no one can argue that working a tech job and closing that big sales deal is as exciting as, <laughs> right. you know. Well, if you're lucky, you get a job that kind of ha- delivers that too. You know, like I'm yeah, lucky that like my job, it kind of delivers that because we're traveling around the world and it's like, we're not fighting, but we're working together for this show that's going to be seen and whatever. So yeah. it's like, that's what I've been missing through this pandemic thing. When you just show up at the apex and you live in Las Vegas or whatever, and you can't kind of hang out with anybody like that. This past week at Fight Island has been amazing for like just going out to dinners with people that I haven't gone out to dinner yeah. with in a while. You know what I mean? And then like able to see before the show, after the show, eat breakfast, whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, like if you're going to war with people like that, if there's if there's, you know, physical violence involved, that football hockey locker room is just uh, that's a, even a different animal from playing basketball or baseball, you know? Yeah, I would say like, you know, I played lacrosse in college. I played football for 10 years. I wrestled in high school and then did MMA. Yeah. I, I bump into one of my high school buddies, like that I played football with, and it's kind of a hello. You bump into one of your high school wrestling teammates and it's like a hug and like, how you doing? Like, you're, you know, you're putting your hands on, like, oh, I miss you, buddy. Like, yeah. it's just different, you know, and, and that's probably what you have with jujitsu versus some of your old hockey buddies. Like, it's just different because, you know, you're, you're vulnerable with these people that, you know, they're, they're taking care of you as a training partner you know, right, yeah. and you're taking care of them. There's a certain level of unspoken trust that comes with that. And obviously the dickheads get weeded out. So like immediately, you, you know, they earned your respect through the, you know, the, 
the shared uh, the shared passion in the grappling and right there, there's something there that builds like a long-term friendship we gotta we gotta roll again man it's been since korea i know i feel like we i feel like we brought corona back to the states <laughs> i'm always like do you think we did we no, were in korea no. in december and then i was like do you think we brought it back we, we were I, when in we korea went to december. korea everybody got sick i remember one of mike's coaches really said, i think i it's... was in a room with I was in a room with Joe the whole week and he wasn't feeling good. He, they all thought that they got food poisoning. I felt fine the whole time, but I didn't um, get sick and yeah. I rolled with you and Joe Lozon. Yeah. Well, Joe then, was probably just beating you up so bad the whole so time. So Joe, yeah. So I went, it was me, you, Lozon, and John Gooden, right? Yeah. Gooden, Gooden and me. Gooden was pissed because I mentioned on Bisping's podcast that me and Gooden have to go at it because we're, you know, the, the jujitsu guy broadcasters. And I had started jujitsu like a week before. So he's just like, oh, this guy. So, he, <laughs> so then we go up there and I rolled with Joe first. And uh, like just, I mean, I had been doing jujitsu for three months, once a week, right? As amateur as yep. it gets. And I'm going with Lozon. And uh, he was just like, I mean, twisting me like a pretzel in like 22 seconds, actually five seconds. And, uh, but you were just like, oh, Joe plays with his food. He plays yeah. with his food and then he'll teach you something. Ooh. Like he was good yeah, we after a bit, the, right? Yeah, we were going up the elevator and he's like, so I never know like how hard to go with these guys. Do I just kill them or do I just go, go slow? I was like, listen, I'm not going to try to tap anybody. I'm just right. more of a flow. Try to teach. I was like, Brendan's very new. I was like, so just, just flow with them and try to teach them some stuff. I was like, it's more about the experience and just getting a sweat. He's like, all right. And then I'm rolling with Gooden on the other side. And I hear, I hear you. I was like, dap! <laughs> dap! <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? And then I remember you were like, what was that? And he, I think he got you in like a wrist lock or something. He got me like, in every <laughs> single thing that you could. He did neon belly. What's it called when you go neon belly? And then he put his arm behind my back and basically bent me like an L. That's called being a bully. <laughs> so uncomfortably. And yeah, I was, no, just, was just getting rammed, you know? Yeah, he was just uh, establishing that he's the alpha. Yeah, right. He was, he was pissing like, on the fire. Me and John were laughing. We're like, we're like, what was that? And me and him were like, God, Joe. So then I went with you and you actually taught me stuff. That was, you know, that was wonderful. You know what I mean? You're like, yeah, there's different styles. Like Joe's like still a, a competitor. Yeah. Right. You know, he's going to go there. He's like in his head, he's probably thinking like, all right, someday I'm going to fight. And this guy's going to be called a fight. I need him talking me up. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't know what's going through Joe's head, but I imagine something like that. And then I'm over here thinking like, all right, like I, you know, let me teach him something that he can bring back. And, um, you well, know, so feel like, like your job was to prepare, prepare me because then I had to roll with Gooden after that. And Gooden was, Gooden was ready for me. Like he was. Yeah, Gooden you know, was trying to. Uh, he gave yeah, me he the. Um, to... He here's the thing. Gooden tries to get this on me every time now. He gave me the mother's milk submission, where he just <laughs> held my face into his <laughs> chest, and he's like, "Don't let me get this one." I didn't even know what it was. I was too new, you know. And uh, it, <laughs> is that is it like the ultimate insult to get that? I mean, it's definitely not something that it's like, yeah, you, you should yeah, be able to, guys you should yeah. be able to defend that. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, that was the jujitsu in Korea. I've only done it. And then I like, then Corona hits, I rolled in, uh, Auckland, New Zealand with Gooden and, uh, Dan Hardy. And that was fun. And it's like, I haven't done anything since I missed the hell out of it. You know what I mean? I talked to safe Saud in, uh, New Mexico and he, and he's laid down a challenge. He said you in the next calendar year, you need to compete in a jujitsu tournament. And I was like, ready for it. I was like, all right, cool. You know, and then the world falls apart and uh, I don't think it's going to happen within a year, but uh, yeah, got to get back into it. The good thing about jujitsu is that you'll compete 
against someone that's kind of your right level, yeah exactly you know? yeah, yeah so it'll be fun yeah well it's not I gonna throw you in there with joe um <laughs> yeah please <laughs> please no and it's it's funny when you are on the road with some of these guys and you truly see the difference it's one thing to know like man they're getting in the, everybody can see it on display the toughness and they'll get a cut and whatever but to see them to like train with them a little bit or to even just like see the work ethic up close like this week I even took another step Felder uh the other night was like oh I gotta run um you know he doesn't have a fight or anything but he's just been pushing his cardio hard I think to in, in case something pops up and he's like, I'm like, how long are you running? And he goes, hour 45. And I'm like, holy smokes. He's like, yeah, I'm on this like half marathon plan, whatever. So he went outside. We started at, I took a bike. I was like, I was like, oh, yeah. hold your water. You know what I mean? I crewed for him basically. And uh, Angela Hill ran too. Angie ran for like 45 minutes. It's humid at night. It's more humid at night here than in the day. <clears throat> awful. So Felder, I mean, Felder must have lost five, six pounds the other night. He ran for an hour and a half. He got to an hour and a half. It's crazy. And it's just like that stuff that Calvin does, you know, like they do it. Right. And it's like, that takes, that's next level commitment from these guys. And you're just like, Oh, okay. That's what it takes. It's like crazy. Yeah. I don't think people realize that fighting is a full-time job. If you want to get to the top, you don't do camp. You train year round and then you tweak when you have a bout agreement. You know? Yeah. Right. It's, it's not like, you know, you might see these guys on Instagram. Oh, they're, they're at the beach this time, but you know, Calvin went to the beach after he fought Dan, but, um after he fought jeremy he went to the beach for a week but it was like he had a spring i, I thought i was like listen something can come up so i had the ufc put together a, a cardio program for him at the week for him at the uh the week at the beach i was like listen like another call could come so we need to keep let's just assume he's fighting you know in july on right Fight island you know right, so right. he was doing sprint workouts every day on the beach but like, on instagram yeah. you just see like oh he's hanging out at the beach after a big yeah. one for jeremy stevens but he's sprinting every day and then maybe he gets a couple drinks in in the afternoon or whatever but you still put in the work. It's yeah. just, you know, a different intensity to those workouts. And, um, you know, but I always say like most fighters outside of camp, if you're at like a 10 is like your peak performance and one yeah. is like you're being a fat slob. Most fighters are probably like a, a three to a five when they don't have a fight. Right. Calvin and Rob are always at like a six to a seven. Like they're doing the meat and potatoes. They're still disciplined. Um, they're still in decent shape, so they can always be ready to take a fight on like, you know, four or five weeks. Right. Later, yeah. And show up at a 10. So, yeah. Um, especially now, like, especially with how the world is now, it's like, you don't want to need two months to, to get your weight down or whatever. I mean, you should be within yeah. like three, four weeks striking distance for some of them. Like for Calvin now, it's like, there's only a certain amount of guys that are going to make sense in terms of him taking a fight, but right. they still need to put together like sometimes like main events, like in, you know, four or five weeks. You yeah, know, well, that's how the uh, the Ige fight came together. We got the call right. on June fifteenth, and we yeah. fought July fifteenth. Yeah. So it was, um, yeah. If you're not ready for those things, that's how you get, you know, bigger contracts and big moment opportunities. Like Calvin always asks for is, you know, we we could have not been ready and had to say no to that fight, and now we're still sitting here thinking about the Jeremy win, and you know, yeah. the other people will pass you while you're waiting. Right. Right. Um. So back to your your thing of like, so you're taking how many pro fights did you have? Eight amateur and seven pro. Oh, okay, yeah, nice little run. Yeah, I was, I did okay as an amateur. I think I went seven and zero, and then I lost. I went out to tough enough and fought for the one fifty five title and uh -huh. I knocked out. It was, uh, I'm pretty sure I was a extreme tour kid, so I'm sure Dennis Day was probably cornered against me. So I gotta talk to him about that. 
Oh yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) That was 10 years ago. And then I lost my last amateur fight and then I went pro. But right when I went pro is when I went back to a tech sales job because I was uh, out of work for two years, um, just training. You know, I had money saved up. I was just training right. and as I did my whole amateur career. And then when I went pro, I went to a desk job. I was like working like Oracle, you yeah. know, working freaking nine to five, you know, nine to six and Commutes. then training once a day and then trying to fight, you know, I had neck injuries and stuff. So it was, um, I did everything wrong. So right. I think I went like four and three and lost to some turds. It's like embarrassing looking back at like when I see my record in typology, but at the same time, it's like all those experiences, like led me to be a better coach because i i know what it feels like to fight this type of guy or that type of guy i know what it feels like to win this way or lose this way or you know there's not much i haven't been through good weight cuts bad weight cuts short notice long notice fights getting canceled on the day of like you know fighting injured fighting healthy you know all that stuff and um you know being the first fight on the card the main event of a card like all that traveling to fight like i've been through all of it so i feel like overall my my career was just preparation to make me better at what I'm doing now yeah when did you think like coaching was an avenue to go down well <laughs> excuse me um I mean when I was still an amateur I was running a lot of the fight practices for my teammates and then like I was just getting them fights on the side and um you know okay I'll get you a fight I'll get you a fight and then I was cornering all the fighters um I think I was like a purple belt at the time, but I was, and I had the wrestling background. So I was like one of the better grapplers in the room. And so I started helping like all my buddies, like just get better. Like I would take Rob down a bunch of times and around, but like every time I took him down, just like I rolled with you, I was like, Hey, next time, don't let me get this, like do this. And then it kept right. making it harder and harder for me to, you know, beat those guys. And eventually they, you know, they passed me and which is what should happen. Right. Um, if you're a good coach, you should never always be beating your students. You should be teaching right. them how to beat you. And, um, you know, and then it's just next thing I know, like I'm coaching them and then I'm coaching with the other guys that were like the head coaches. But then I'm realizing like, oh, yeah, I'm the one kind of talking more. And, and then as time went by, it was just, I just started to fill that, that role. And yeah, um, it was were you getting, I was like, oh, right. You, you never, you never set out to like, I'm going to be this coach. No, my, my whole goal was to just help my friends with what was needed. You know, yeah. I was like, oh, they don't have someone to help cut weight. I'll help them cut weight. They don't have someone to get them a fight. I'll, I'll get them a fight. They don't have someone to, like, schedule a camp. I'll do that. They don't have someone to, like, coach them during sparring. I'll do that. You know, and then where does that little, come from? Like, where does that come from from you? Like, I, not, I not everybody kind of like, has that giving attitude. You know what I mean? I always call myself a realist. You know, like I say, like, I'm pretty realistic. Like, I never walked into the gym and be like, hey, I'm going to be the UFC champ one day. Like, I knew it was like, all right, I'm 28. I already got a really bad neck. I have an MBA. I have a tech sales job. I can't commit to the time I need to commit. So, but like these guys can, they're pretty decent. And if, if they do something, they could, they could be pretty good. Um, so I was always like, all right. So when I was in camp and if I was running the practice, if there was an odd number, I was missing rounds so they could get them. Cause I knew right. it was like, all right, I'll invest in them. It's more important that they get their stuff. It's not about me. I don't know. I think that's just like an inherent quality. I don't know. Maybe my mom yeah. taught me well or something, but I just think realistically, I knew there was more upside with them putting them ahead of me um, rather than making it about myself. And obviously that paid off, but it was, it was really, there was no agenda. Like I didn't have the agenda of like, all right, if I do this now, then they're going to want me to be their head coach. It was, it was nothing like that. It was never about money. It was never about labels or anything like that. It was literally just about like, all right, I have this kid over here who like, I really care about. He's one of my training partners. You know, we have that camaraderie. 
and I feel like I, I could be a mentor to him and help him. And, and there was no like reason why you want to help him. You just right. help him because it was the right thing to do. And then little by little, all those guys, like the Robs and the Ricos and the younger guys, they, you know, asking me the questions, you know, like, Hey, Hey, you know, what do you think about this? They're calling me like, instead of their other coaches. And, and it's just kind of like the role just, it just manifested. And, and over time, you know, you build trust there, you know, and, uh, well, the way to get really good is to not have the ulterior motives, right? I mean, that's, yeah. you, you know, there's a lot of landmines in the fight game. I mean, everywhere really is just like, I'm going to take this guy and get rich on him on the back end. But that's not how you yeah. truly become like a really good coach. You don't get rich in MMA by trying to get rich in MMA. You, you, right. Um, and, I, you know, I don't, I'm not saying I'll ever be rich from it, but it's be successful in MMA is by doing what needs to be done and not doing it for the wrong reasons. You know, I'm not doing this to – get the credit or you know for awards or anything like that i do it for the rewards like you know to see my friends get their hands raised like it, it's just like it's like i'm doing it you know yeah. um but what comes with that is like you have to take the losses just as hard you see a lot of these coaches they're there for the wins but then when the loss happens they're pointing fingers right. you know they take credit with the wins they point fingers on the losses and i think it's gonna be the opposite you gotta give credit when they win and take blame when they lose and i think if you do that every time and start keep filling the holes in the boat over time these guys start to trust you a lot more you say what do you say about the the difference between a trainer and a coach yeah a trainer is the guy you're going to show up at five you're going to hit mitts with them or grapple with them for an hour and then they're going to bump hands give a hug probably take a picture post on instagram like your brothers and then and then move on um a coach is the guy that's like you wake up at 12 a.m and or you know 3 a.m and you're stressed out about something and you who do i call you're calling your coach you know like that's the guy that's like no matter what you need like you get a flat tire you're probably calling that guy you're not calling your trainer you know um it's it almost seems like it's your mentor you know right. um and i see in mma there's a lot of trainers there's very few coaches it's like coaching is like you're not a by the hour guy you're like a 24 7 guy whether you're getting paid or not you're doing whatever it takes to help these guys not stress about a fight because you understand like when these guys are in fight camp the littlest things can be you know that pebble in the shoe that can turn into a full-blown infected blister like so you got to be there to like constantly pulling those pebbles out and making these guys run free um you know available 24 7 your phone's never off like you know i'll leave the dinner table with my kids to answer the phone for my fighters which obviously ticks off my wife i have to find some balance in that but um no it's just like if you if you're a trainer you're not emotionally invested in these guys you're you're mostly invested in yourself and they're part of their tool but you're a coach, like you're, you're so emotionally invested in these guys, you'll do whatever it takes to help make their day better because it could make a difference in helping them have a better week, better camp, better fight, you know, and, and all that. And um, yeah, I think, I think there needs to be more coaches. But. Is that why you um, kind of keep your roster small in terms of coaches? Because you coach, what, Rob and Calvin, and that's kind of it, right? Yeah, I always say like Rob and Calvin are kind of like my, my coaching career is through them and once they're done and it'll just be me focusing more on the management stuff. And I, and I say that now, but it's like, you know, a lot of the guys that I manage do ask me to corner them. Cause, and I, I really think it's a little bit of a placebo effect where they see me corner Rob and Calvin and, you know, um, we're headlining cards and stuff like that. So I think it gives them a little confidence to have me in the corner sometimes. Um, and then plus I know, you know, their coaches don't necessarily mind it because I know when to shut up. I'm not trying to coach and be the head coach. I, I'm just telling what you want me to say and I'll help where it makes sense to help. And, um you know so who knows what'll happen down the road when calvin and rob are done if i start coach you know take on some other projects or whatever but 
Um, right now it's, you know, just those two guys and then helping with other guys as they need help. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I don't think if, if I had, yeah, we could, we could get a lease, open up a gym and probably have a bunch of fighters, but I think it would affect Robin Calvin. You know, I don't right, think that right. I'd be giving them the attention that I promised them a few years ago when they asked me to be their head coach. Um, I think I'd be reneging on that a little bit and, you know, I, I have to see it through and, and then maybe at the end of their careers, we can reevaluate and kind of see where I'm at with my kids and, you know, them playing sports and activities right. and see yeah. how much time I'm willing to invest, you know, invest in some other people. But um, yeah, it's tough. Let me just pause this one second real quick. Hold on. There you go. Um, your screen was frozen for just a second. Um, what do we got? How long have we been going along? Okay. So, uh, Maybe last thing here before I let you uh, start your day and I'll uh, get dinner over here in Abu Dhabi. Uh, you going to the garage to eat? Probably going to go to the Asian place. <laughs> I was told it was the Indian place the last time. Oh, across the, across the hallway. Yeah, across the, the hall. That's probably what we'll do. Um, so the manager coach thing, right? Did, when you started doing, I'll just call it the business side of MMA and I'll include coach in that. Were you a coach first or your manager first? Like what, what did you think you were going to kind of do? I just thought I was going to fight. And then while I was there, I was like, all right, there's no coach here to run the practice. So I'm the oldest one and I'm the most experienced um, grappler. So I'll just, I'll run the practice and I'll just keep some structure. And it started out as just like that. Hey, I can't make it today. Can you run the practice? And next thing you know, I'm cornering all the guys and then I'm getting myself a bunch of fights. And it was me and Rick Hahn were like, kind of like Rob and Calvin are. That's how me and Rick Hahn were. He was in the, uh, he fought for a Bellator title. He's in the Olympics for judo. And um, me and him were staying pretty busy. I think it was like 2009 and the rest of the team wasn't busy at all. So then little by little guys were like, Hey, can you get me a fight? So I was just doing favors. I was like, yeah, I'll get you a fight. Oh, can you corner me? Yeah, I'll corner you. And then, so it kind of happened simultaneously where it's, I was running their practices. I was getting guys fights. I was cornering them. And then next thing I know, like another guy, Hey, can you, can you get me fights too? And then they're like, Oh, my manager Tyson. Like I never gave, I never called myself a manager. Right. They're like, Oh, to call my manager. Call me. Cause you know, young fighters, they think it's cool to say they have a manager. Right. So like I'll call a manager, you know? And then, um, you know, and then it got, I got labeled as the, as the manager for probably many, many years. And that was, you know, kind of the thing is I, I really was already a coach, <clears throat> but I was always called a manager. And then really the coaching, label didn't really start i think until three years ago when rob and calvin made a move and then um people started recognizing oh like so they did tyson's also their coach not just right manager. right and then, yeah i think it was a little bit of confusion but it was uh yeah it was never like the intent of getting into the business side of mma it just kind right. of happened do you like it i mean it's fun right dude i love it it's like i, I mean i talk to my friends all the time that you know, they can see how passionate I am about it. And um, I I was in tech sales. Like, I hated it. Like, I would go to work and I was all right. Like, I was always like top, you know, if you have a team of six, I was always like top two or three, you know, and, and I put in like maybe 10% effort and I was like still doing better than most of the people on my team who was like, right. that is their life. And uh, I just remember thinking, there's gotta be like more than this. This is awful. Like, this is, I just, I live for the weekends and vacations. And, yeah. and now it's like, I'm just like, I don't feel like I'm ever working. Like it's, it, there's definitely, there's definitely stress, yeah. you know, and like there's frustration just like any industry, but um, man, it's like, 
travel the world. You know, I mean, you should to fight Island, the headline yeah, card. I know. On ESPN. Yeah, and like, right. you know, I have people from like grade school that I haven't talked to in, you know, 20 years that have reached out. Oh, I just saw you on TV. Like, that's so cool. And it's like, and it's cool. It's like more people, like more eyes are coming into this sport through right. a bunch of people, you know, a bunch of fighters, a bunch of people like me, a bunch of people like you that maybe weren't UFC, you know, MMA fans until they saw you doing it. <clears throat> and it just keeps growing. And it's like, to think that, you know, where the, the NFL of combat sports and you know you think in another 15 years where it's going to be and, right. uh, compared to where it was 15 years ago you know yeah because I have friends that cool. I worked with and I always <laughs> covered team sports and then um when I came into this it's like they'll give it a shot because that now I'm working on oh Brendan's calling the fights whatever I'll tune in and now that yeah. I, I I have like uh like a friend at NHL network he's actually from New Hampshire and he's just like dude I didn't really know about the UFC I'd tune in to watch you on like some play-by-play now it's like I, I don't miss a car like I watch it all the time yeah you know and it's just you, like, you're yeah, starting to see more of that and then you know you're seeing people that knew me before MMA and that know me now and then it's like dude it's it's so cool seeing like your journey and like seeing like from when you just kind of took jujitsu like where right. you're at now with jujitsu yeah, and yeah. seeing me like you know, walk guys out for main events it's uh it's pretty surreal it's like it's something that you know i always tell rob and calvin it's like listen like yeah we have goals but like let's a big part of this is is, is enjoying the journey you know yeah, it's not always yeah. just about where you're going the destination is important but like we're, we're doing all these bucket list items that we're going to look back on when we're older and we're going to be like dude remember the time we did this remember the time we, you know and it's like those moments that you have in the, in the hotel rooms when you're all just bantering on fight week and stuff like that, like, you know, you have with your boys, like those are the things that like you remember the most as time, as the wins and losses kind of fade, <clears throat> you still remember those things. And um, hundred percent. I'm glad you, you said that. I, I, I had that thought this week. Um, like, you know, the, the people ask me like, what's your favorite fight call or, you know, what, what's it, you know, like, what fight, what's your favorite fight that you called and how is it, whatever this. And uh, we were riding bikes out, you know, around the loop on Fight Island at 3.30 in the morning the other day because we we're trying to like stay up so that we can get on the right schedule. <clears throat> and so I'm like out there riding with like Zach, our, our uh, VP of live production and uh, Mike, who's like a producer and Felder's out there because he's, you know, and I'm like, I'm out here with like these great friends that I have and a UFC fighter and whatever. And we're riding bikes in Abu Dhabi at 3.30 in the morning. It's just like, that's the stuff where we sit out, sit at dinner in a year. We're like, remember in Abu Dhabi, we rode bikes at three in the morning. Like, that's like the, the cool stuff. You know what I mean? It's not about like, oh, I called this knockout. Well, that's cool. And the rest of the world sees it. It's like yeah. the, the behind the scenes stuff. I, that kind of just like slapped me in the face this week is like, this is kind of what I've been missing, you know, just like at the apex, you don't get that. So it's much more sterile. It's still great to have fights and all that stuff, but you know, just, uh, yeah, man, you hit the nail on the head with that. So I'm glad you guys, uh, yeah, you see some guys like go hunting and they're saying it's nothing about like killing animals. It's just about being out in the woods with your friends and creating those memories. Yeah, Uh, And you know, this is our hunting is, uh, these fight weeks and, you know, who are you hunting for next? (laughs) Hunt for Max. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I'll be the fight to make, right? Um, yeah. Everybody else is booked. Um, I think it makes sense. You know, he's got obviously that last loss was controversial, but he's well, he's lost three out of four, but he's still the goat. Yeah. I think three out of four, right? Because he had that loss to Poirier. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Two know, so three and, uh... out of four. Calvin's. I, I don't think you can argue that Calvin's the the, the new hot prospect in the division. Um, you know, we already fought. We are, we fought down. We were at six. We fought eleven. 
Um, so now I think we are in the right to fight up again. And because um, I think it's got to be give and take. You can't always fight up because there's always someone fighting down. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Zabit did us a favor. He fought down, gave us the chance. We, we muffed it. Um, but then, you know, we came back against Jeremy. And then, you know, we fought back against Ige. Now, I, right. I, I think we get that top five fight. I think we earned it to prove that we should be fighting for a title. So <clears throat> I think a lot of it's going to play out depending on how healthy Max is. You know, obviously everything with COVID, with flu season coming up. And then, um, you know, who knows? Does, does the beat get a title shot against Alex? I, I don't know. Like, if he does. So, if the beat, tell me this. Okay. So, if the beat does get that title fight against Alex and runs through him. Right. Do we get the next title shot? I don't know. Did we earn that? Because question. we had that. Because we have the we have the drama with the beat, right? Right. Like people want to see that fourth and fifth round, or does the winner of Zombie and Ortega, Ortega get that shot? Right. <clears throat> so I think. Um, like, yeah. I mean, I, I like. I don't want to play matchmaker all the time, and it's not my job to get scoops and all that stuff. I think uh, Korean Zombie makes a pretty good case if he beats Ortega. He certainly earned it. If Ortega gets that win, does he? You know jump right back to a title shot because he's really good, but he sat out for two years, you know, or, or yeah, know. whatever it's been. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. Featherweight's just awesome, man. I'm glad Calvin's in that uh, shark tank because he belongs, but it's just, uh, it's one thing to have really good fighters, but it's another thing to have really good and really exciting fighters all bunched up in the same spot, you know? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a cool, it's an exciting division I'm waiting right for now. Yair Rodriguez to fight again because he's an animal, you know, and just like, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a yeah, challenge too. Like we'll end it on this. That's gotta be the challenge as like a manager. Um, you get, you want to get to the rankings. You want those big fights, but then once you're in that realm, it's tougher to get fights. Oh, you froze up. Like that again, you froze up a little bit. I said, uh, once you get to that level where you've been, you know, scratching and clawing to get to, uh, then it's tougher to get fights. You can't stay as busy. Yeah, there definitely is a, uh, a bit of a, log jam right now where we're at so it's like <clears throat> we could have said no to the ega fight and said no we want to fight up but it's like you know so we rolled the dice on that one we took right. a calculated risk and now it's like all right we are in the right to fight up so you know the logical decision would be to let's just fight max when he's ready because that would get us the title shot if we beat him um but yeah it's like balancing like once you get to a certain point it's harder to stay busy it's just yeah right you know yeah. That doesn't mean you want to go, you know, it's a good problem to have, I guess. You'd rather yeah. not be in. Right. Staying busy but unranked and making a lot less money is way more damage on your body. Right. For, I don't know. Yeah. It's, well, um, that all sounds good, man. And I can't wait to see Rob back there, too, because uh, Rob was actually the last interview I did on this podcast when we could actually, like, be in the same room and stuff. But uh, And you've been responsible for several episodes, Tony Martin or Rocco, I should call him, or otherwise he'll get mad at me and Calvin and Joe and all that other stuff. So um, happy to uh, have you on and uh, happy to call you a friend of the show. And uh, this won't be the last time you're on, man, because I'm going to get more consistent with this. And uh, as, as your guys continue to rise and uh, crush it, then we'll, we'll check in with you regularly. Well, I'm excited that you're getting it back on, man. It's fun to yeah. watch. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And, uh, where do you get one of those cartel shirts? Because I know you uh, look at that right in the back. You go on uh, on my Instagram. I have the link in my bio. It brings you to a Teespring site to sell the shirts. And then we're going to have a uh, website launching soon here, too, so I have nice. more options. Cartel. You're getting that Boston Magazine love, too. Yeah, we're getting that Boston Magazine. We're on the cover, which, you know, the cool thing is, is the last cover, it was uh, Julian Edelman, the McCourty brothers, yeah. Danny Ainge. 
then you get the cartel. So yeah, that's like, awesome. We're basically, we're basically one of the, we keep saying we're Boston's fifth team. And, right. Uh, I've seen that. Yeah. We'll be on, on the cover magazine that has the other, you know, some of the other four. So it's, uh, it's cool. It's cool awesome, to start man. getting, you know, these guys trying to get recognition. Sweet, man. Well, I'm sure I'll talk to you soon and uh, we'll text and all that other stuff and uh, give my best uh, to the team and the family and, and uh, enjoy, enjoy fall back in New Hampshire. Yeah, the leaves right. are turning, right? Yep. Awesome. Thanks, T. Big thanks to Tyson for joining me. That was a nice chat and that won't be the last time we have him on the show. I'm sure he's a, he's a friend of mine in this business and uh, it's been great to get to know him over the last year. So here's why the show is back. Uh, Last year, I started the podcast. I wanted to do interviews. If you've listened to this before, you know that I like to do interviews. I like to connect with the athletes. Um, It's just just a heck of a lot of fun. But the thing is, I wanted to do them in person. So the connection you can get with, with other people in person is obviously like no other, certainly better than on a web chat. So I clung to that as being the deal breaker when I started my show. I just grossly underestimated how tough it was to make that happen. Even when you're in the same city as a fighter or, you know, a guest that you want to have on the show to find the same hours in the day that I'm available, that they're available, that we can get to the same place, then that I could bring the recording equipment, all that stuff. At least at this point, I I just, I really underestimated how tough that was going to be to line everything up and to keep putting out episodes on a consistent basis. Um, then I tried the solo show, you know, with the pandemic because the pandemic made it impossible to get it with people um, in the same room. But um, now the interviews are back. Um, I dropped the requirement for the interviews to be in person. And I'll tell you why. There's a couple of reasons. Number one, I just was really missing talking to the fighters, really, and the coaches and, and whoever the guests were. Whenever I did an episode, um, in addition to giving, you know, some great content and some stories and, and, uh, you know, maybe you hear from some of the fighters that you like to watch and maybe you learn more about a new fighter that you didn't know. Um, in addition to that, I enjoyed talking with the guests. I learned a lot about those fighters, which is important in my job. I would call a fight of theirs after that, um, and had that connection, the knowledge of their backstory. Ultimately, it was like doing homework for some of my play by play gigs, but um, it was just like a long conversation that really helped me out. I would get to know their coach sometimes. That's ultimately how I um, met Tyson was when I did the episode with Calvin Cater and Tyson came along. So then I knew him and Joe Lozon was with them. And then I did an episode with Joe. And um, so now I have that connection with that entire team, what I didn't have before. And then William Knight fights on the Contender Series. And I know Tyson because he represents him. And it just is a big snowball effect that um, I was really missing so I'm excited for this show going forward to have those conversations and to put out some great interviews, but also the help that it's going to offer me as I, uh, you know, continue to call these UFC fights going forward. So that was uh, certainly a huge reason as to why I wanted to bring the show back. Second one, um, our CEO of the UFC is a guy named Lawrence Epstein, and he said something after we came back to the office at headquarters, obviously, like offices were closed and things were shut down in the beginning of the pandemic. And we had a big meeting um, outside in the courtyard at the UFC building when the offices opened back up and Dana spoke at it. And uh, it was, it was, you know, all positive. It was, it was great stuff. I think it was after we came back from Florida and 
Lawrence got up there and he talked about how some businesses are just going um, all remote. You know, there's a lot of people that are just going to work from home because business is still getting done. I think you mentioned Facebook. Facebook has all the staff that's just going to work remotely and work from home going forward. And Lawrence brought up the point where we could continue to get things done in the UFC um, via remote, via Zoom chats and phone calls and things like that, but only because we had already established such strong connections in person. It's tough to cultivate connections and relationships if you're exclusively from home and on a remote basis. But if you have that connection in person first, you can still grow it and have good conversations and good connections through web chat. So I was always thinking, if I'm going to do an interview, I want it to be in person to have that connection to really have a good conversation. But I didn't think, well, like, I know a lot of fighters. Like, I know a lot of fighters that live in all different parts of the country, sometimes in the world. And I might be able to be with them in person in Prague or in Australia, or in Auckland, or in Brazil, but I can't do a podcast that weekend. But we can hang out at a bar after the fights, or see each other in the workout rooms, and that sort of thing. And then we can chat in this format to do a show. So ultimately, I just needed to like open my mind a little bit as to what this show was uh, being. I was very stubborn and closed-minded as to all these requirements that I wanted from the show and how it had to go. Um, Elon Musk said when he was on the Joe Rogan show, he said, happiness is reality minus expectations. And I was just expecting a little too much when I was getting this show off the ground. I needed to be real, the reality, with what I wanted to do with the show and how I could actually do it um, in the short term. You got you to gotta crawl before you can walk, before you can run in terms of in-person interviews and in studio and on YouTube and all this other stuff. So um, I'm just doing these interviews again. I'm enjoying it for what it is. You know, chasing success, whether it's on a podcast or anything else, it usually doesn't lead to it. You got to do it how you need to do it to um, how you want to do it. What, like, like find the passion in it. You know, Tyson said it in our interview. He said the way to get rich in MMA is not by trying to get rich in MMA. It's by really caring about what you're doing enjoying the journey of it and the success comes on the back end when you truly kind of find that flow state so i'm back with the brendan fitz podcast i'm doing it for the love of the game for for what i get out of it for hopefully what you guys get out of it and uh, using my access to some of these great athletes and great people that i get to travel the world with and uh, tell some great stories and have some great chats so thanks for listening and i will see you back very soon for another episode See ya.